Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. We have uh, the last few weeks and continuing for the next several weeks, uh, we are going through our sermon series called Thoughts and Prayers. We've been talking about how we live in a weird age, um, one that um, the philosopher Charles Taylor calls the secular age, where we are disenchanted. We don't look beyond those things we can see. What we experience through our five senses and the imminence, those things nearest to us, the physical things around us, are the places where we put our longings. And so we lose this understanding of there being a God who is transcendent, who is beyond ourselves, who cares deeply for us and is active and alive uh, in our lives, who works for our good, who works for our um, to bring us grace and mercy. And this longing for transcendence can be reenacted, be revived through prayer. Prayer reenchants our imaginations towards God, towards his existence, towards his activity in his creation, and his interest in our lives. Prayer, above all, I think, stirs our imaginations for who God is and our relationship with him. Szczeslo uh, Milos, who is a Polish Nobel Prize winning poet, says, Imagination can fashion the world into a homeland as well as a prison or a battle, a place of battle. No one lives in the, the objective world, only in a world filtered through the imagination. Why imagination? Why does our imagination need to be redeemed above all things? Well, it catapults us into mystery, and it allows us to enter into a life that is much bigger than our own, as prayer does, as we enter into a life of God. It enlarges our life into things that can be adored, things that can enter into us and that we can mature, we can be open to things beyond ourselves. Um, it is Our imaginations are one of the chief glories of what we as humans have, that we can imagine things, life, places, relationships different than maybe we first experienced them. Eugene Peterson says, imagination is the capacity to make connections between the visible and the invisible, between heaven and earth, between present and past, between present and future. 
happens through our redeemed imaginations. Prayer places us in the metaphor of God and assigns meaning to our lives. What do I mean by the metaphor of God? Why metaphors? Well, do we remember maybe seventh, eighth grade English, maybe ninth grade English? We have metaphors and we have similes. Does anyone, Brendan, above all people, do you remember this? Okay, good, because that's probably on the your your teaching this week, right? Can you explain the difference between a metaphor and a simile? So they both help us connect to things in that are different to us. Yeah. Similes use like or as. Metaphors do not. Yes, thank you. Very good. Okay. Um, I wrote it down, hoping you would pray. Yeah. This is a, your mom is so proud of you right now. <laughs> Exactly. Similes say like or as, so we draw a connection there, but it kind of it, it there it's still not completely connected. Metaphors say this is this thing. God is a rock. God is a fortress. God is a shield. He's the horn of my salvation. He is the king. He is father. Here in this passage, he is shepherd. Metaphors connect disparate things and give us a new understanding and discovery of meaning between these things as well. We have this prevalence of sheep and lamb and shepherd motifs still in our lives. We were talking about Sean the sheep a couple of weeks ago, right? We have a, we we read nursery rhymes to our kids about sheep, and yet we, um, as Americans at least, rarely interact with sheep on a regular basis. We don't really like the label of being called sheep either. Like sheeple is kind of a negative term at this point. Um, we don't want to be blindly following a shepherd. Um, even yesterday as we were standing in line, um, some friends we were talking, as we were standing in line, waiting for autographs, lined up in a pen, contained in an area. We're like, yeah, we don't like being called sheeple, right? Like, we don't want to be referred as sheep. But throughout Scripture, we are labeled as sheep. Throughout Scripture, Jesus uh, and God is called shepherd as well. And Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Because this isn't a blind leading the blind. This isn't um, uh, just... following anyone, sheep understand who their shepherd is, understand who the one that cares for them, and they know his or her voice when they walk into the pen because he is the one who truly cares for them. In our passage this morning, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd is a God who is intimately involved in our lives who cares deeply for us, who preserves us, who accompanies us, who protects us, who comforts us. Often we look at the beginning metaphor for who God is as our father at the beginning of life, and we look to the end of life and we say God is our judge or our king, but who is God in the midst of our life? The psalm reminds us that he is our shepherd. He doesn't just let us fend for ourselves Our shepherd God gives us three things in this life. He gives us rest, he gives us comfort, and he gives us home. He gives us rest. Let's read verses 1 through 3 again. 
David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Resting is not wanting. It's lying down. The image of being next to still waters, not chaotic waters. It's an image of the life that God wants to give to us. Right? They're not raging. They're not chaotic. They're not going to suck us under if we get too close. But they are still. They're where we can go and drink deeply from the life that God has for us. And it says, he restores our soul. Like so much of this life takes away from who we are, how God has created us. And lastly, the psalmist writes, he leads me in paths of righteousness. These righteous paths are straight paths. They're not winding and twisting, but they are with him. As we talked about a few weeks ago, righteousness is a relational word that we are in relationship with God. And so we are following in the paths that he has for us. In this passage, in this, this, these three verses here, he is the subject, not the sheep. We are not the subject. The psalmist is not the subject. But God, as our shepherd, is the subject. He acts on our behalf. He acts as shepherds so we don't have to. We don't have to be busy. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be churning. We don't have to be worried. We are, right? The shepherd acts on behalf of his sheep so they have no wants, so they can lie down, so they can drink deeply of the life that God has for us. A few wants this week. Stacy was gone. That's a joke. I wanted Stacy back, but I had a few wants this week. Um, I took care of the kids all week. Um, I had about 12 hours where they were not with me, um, and it was wonderful. Um, I thought it would not be. <laughs> I didn't know what it would be. Um, I played some guitar. I rested. It wasn't perfect. Kids were kids. Um, I wasn't perfect. I forgot water bottles and mittens, and preschool teachers very firmly reminded me of my imperfection. But being with them restored my soul. I didn't get a lot done. <laughs> uh, I wrote this sermon yesterday. <laughs> um, so this is kind of an apologetic for why. Um, but it was restoring because it was restful. It wasn't churning. It was what do we need to do today? Um, this morning or maybe last night, uh, I read this poem uh, on Instagram of all places. Um, her uh, uh, Instagram tag name is Mary Oliver's Drunk Cousin. Um, and if you read Mary Oliver's poetry and you read hers, there's a lot of similarities. Um, but she's trying to be funny. Her name is Lindsay Rush, and she writes these beautiful, honest poems. And she writes this, Enough is enough. The day is ending, and I have not made a dent in my laundry list of tasks, nor in my laundry. I did not text everyone back or finish my workout, or make sense of my inbox. 
But I did kiss ten tiny toes to a chorus of giggles and got high off the scent of a small fuzzy head. I flipped through thick page after thick page of rhyming books and I sang all of our favorite made-up songs. I felt the weight of your little body in our big new life and somehow put one foot in front of the other. The day is ending and, depending on your point of view, I've done nothing or everything. There's so much that we are told we need to be doing in this life that taking time for rest and play and knowing that there is a God who cares deeply for us that can do the work of lying us down, of bringing us to still places, of giving our weary souls space to rest. We don't have to do all the things. All other gods demand of us. All our idols demand of us. Sometimes those are our children and our families. Many times those are our work. Many times it is what other people are posting on social media that make us compare ourselves to them and go, I don't have it all together. And God says, I know. It's why I lead you beside still waters. It's why I restore your soul. It's why you can take a nap with your kids laying on your chest watching the Batman Lego movie, and all is okay. The Lord is my shepherd and makes me lie down in green pastures. He gives us rest. And he gives us comfort as well, because not all of life is green pastures. Sometimes it's the valley of the shadow of death. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The psalmist is aware, David was a shepherd himself, that you don't always find green pastures. And sometimes you have to walk through very dangerous valleys to get to them. In the ancient world, you know, there's a psalm that says, uh, when I, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, where does my help come from? It's not because the mountains are these glorious places that we look at here. It's because mountains were dangerous. Thieves and robbers would live in the caves above uh, the valleys and they would attack when people were hidden down in them when they were traveling through. But here, the psalmist says, I will fear no evil, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Your rod and your staff comfort me. These are the defensive and the corrective tools of the shepherd. The rod fends off the wolves and the lions and the thieves and the murderers of the valley of the shadow of death. And the staff pulls off the, pulls the sheep back from us walking off the edge of a cliff. When we were in Iona, we walked up these, this, they call it a mountain. It's 
barely more elevated than my backyard. Um, however, we walked up the side of it, and when we got up, there were sheep, and they were just kind of all over, and they just kind of wandered anywhere. They weren't thinking about where they were going, and then they would just be stuck on the side of this little kind of cliff ledge thing, and they would bleat, and someone else would, you know, the shepherd would come out and get them, and it was a whole thing. But the shepherd has a staff to pull us, to pull the sheep back, to keep us from danger, to fend off evil, even when we are in the midst of it. And these two tools of the shepherd provide comfort, provide safety, provide security and guidance as we go through the valley. Um, I didn't know you were going to be here this morning, so I'm totally stealing this from you, Eugene. I think when I was in uh, Vail, uh, and Eugene was a pastor out there um, at the chapels, he would say often to me as we were um, conducting Sunday morning worship that we want people to come and have comfort here. That doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable. We hear things that we maybe don't like about ourselves, being called sheep, being called sinful, but there's a comfort in knowing that we have a shepherd who loves us and walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. His rod and his staff comfort us. More than just being comfortable in a place, we need to know that there is comfort in the midst of the the valley of the shadow of death. What is your valley of the shadow of death? What deaths are you facing in your life. Recently, I was talking to a friend and she was going through a very, very hard time in her life. And she was saying like, every situation that I step into right now is a new death. The person isn't there. Um, They won't be able to experience this with their kids. Life is going to be different. I have to explain things differently of what is going on. We have death of fantasies of what we thought our lives would be like. We have death of unrealistic expectations. We have the death of being able to do it all. We face death when we face divorce, bad decisions, job loss, abusive relationships, challenging children, aging parents, not making our ends meet. How do you want God to be present with you in the valley of the shadow of death. This is the promise that we have, is that he will provide us comfort, that he is with us. Maybe we don't always see it. That's why our imaginations need to be stirred up by prayer. How have you seen or how would you like him to use his rod and his staff to protect you to guide you through the valley. He's okay with you saying, I need this from you. I need your rod. I need your staff. I need your protection. I need your guidance. I need you to wake up. The psalmists throughout the Psalms call God to wake up. Where are you? We can bring our valleys to God. And we can know that he is with us. Because when we are able to see that he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, we are able to see that he brings us home as well. 
Look at verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God prepares a table for us. He anoints our head. He makes our cup overflow. There is abundance. There is provision. There is comfort and there is excess with the anointing of our heads. And all of this happens in the presence of our enemies. This doesn't mean that we don't have enemies in our lives. It doesn't mean that there aren't people out to get you actively or passively. But it does mean that God pursues you more. His mercy, His goodness go after you. This goodness is the word tov. It is the exact opposite of evil. It is used over 700 times in the Old Testament. And even as we we sang earlier today, right? Like, you are good. You are good. That is not something that we... I swear I outlined this, but I didn't didn't circle it. Um, uh, You are good. You are good. Something about goodness reminds us that we are in the midst of evil as well. Goodness is, the, is God's executive virtue, and it goes after us. It is active. It works inside of us over time. And this mercy word, I'm surprised they translated it mercy, if I can be honest. It is the word hesed. It is God's covenantal faithfulness and loving kindness that he has for his people. It is his faithful commitment to you. It is he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is with you. God pursues us and chases us with his goodness and his mercy. It is how he reveals himself to us. And we're not just going to any home. We're going to his home, the place where we can finally rest, the place where we can be seated, the place that God has prepared for us. Now, it uses the word home at the end, but this is really an image of desert hospitality that is taking place here. As a fugitive, you would run from those uh, who are chasing you. You would flee from the cities. You would go out to the desert. And as a shepherd, you would provide hospitality to those. This was a very huge act of vulnerability to welcome a stranger who was likely a fugitive running from crimes they committed in the desert. But this was the golden piety of the wilderness to extend this level of hospitality as we talk about all the time. Hospitality is the love of a stranger. It has direction and purpose to it. We love someone that we don't know so they become our family. It is a vulnerable act. It is an act that God does for us. He makes us a guest of him and goodness And mercy pursues us even through the desert places to bring us home. A lot of us in our lives have experienced good shepherds. We've experienced many bad shepherds as well. And so we are hesitant to give our lives over, to trust someone who says, I am a good shepherd. 
We've experienced it in our work. Maybe we've experienced it in our families as well. Someone who says they're, they want good for us, but the truth is they want evil. The truth is that God calls himself a good shepherd, and he shows himself to be a good shepherd in Jesus as well. This is one of the, one of the, the metaphors, if you will, that Jesus takes up himself. In John 10, he's talking to um, his disciples, and he's telling them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there is, will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Jesus is the good shepherd Jesus is the sheep who lays down his life. He is the fugitive who went into the desert places and was crucified for crimes he did not commit. And he is the good shepherd, and we know this because he lays down his life for us so that we may have life in him. We've been talking about prayer. I've tried to get our appetites wet for it to make us long for an enchanted imagination in it. And I want to give us some practices of prayer. We don't have time to fully practice it, but especially when we come to a psalm that is so familiar, most of us probably have it memorized in one way or another. It's good to revisit it. One of the ways, uh, rich traditions of prayers that we have in the church is called Lectio Divina. It means divine reading. And it has um, four or five movements, depending on what website you go to, to refresh your mind of what um, Lectio Divina is. Um, it has silencio, which is silence. It's preparing yourself. It's quiet. It's coming. It's praying, come, Holy Spirit. And then you read Lectio. You read the passage. You read it slowly, and you ask the Holy Spirit, what word or image are you leading me to? There's metatio. Uh, which is meditate. You reread the passage and you linger a little bit longer over those words or images that the Spirit gives to you. What resistance do you have to those words? What action or attraction is it calling you to? And it's inviting the Spirit to reveal how this passage speaks to you today. There's oratio then, which is, means to pray. You read it another time. And this time you pray in the passage, what ways God is calling you uh, to him? How do you respond to him? 
Is it repentance? Is it praise? Is it healing? Is it hope? And finally, to contemplate or contemplatio. You read the passage one last time and you rest in God's presence. Be still, still to receive the life that God has for you in him. Preparing yourself, reading the passage, asking what word or image the Spirit has for you. Meditate over it, reading it again, and praying the passage and resting in it. I've been using a Celtic prayer book lately, and it has a morning and evening prayer for each day of the week. And at the very beginning, it says, Be still and be aware of God's presence within and all around you. It's very hard to do, to be still. This passage has 57 words, Hebrew words in it. 28 words, there's a center word, and there's 28 more words. The literal heart of this prayer is the very center word, one word that translates to the phrase, for you are with me. The center of Psalm 23 is that God is with us, whether we find ourselves in green pastures, whether we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, or whether we are home with God. God is with us. Through prayer, God opens our imaginations to his presence in our lives. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful um, that we have a loving, good shepherd. One who lays down his life for us so that we can have life abundantly in you. Who calls us into rest. Who calls us into green pastures who is with us in the valley of the shadow of death and leads us home to be with you. Lord, may we take holy naps. May we take rest. May we find still waters in this life, laying our anxieties down before you, knowing that you care for us, that you lay down your life so that we can have life in you. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.